0: Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. Bob broke the internet this week, and you are listening to The Aftermath in our Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 45, Eastbound. The revelation of the sector data being found was a bombshell. We've seen multiple analyses from expert to amateur. All amazing work, but this week we heard from an expert, Mike Dowd, who beautifully broke down the sector data. Bob, Janet, and I are here to discuss all of it right after this break.
1: The Ford Ranger,
2: a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.
1: All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, thanks everybody who's joining us on YouTube. Uh, as Zach mentioned, he's here, and so is Janet. Uh, when you're listening to this, first and foremost, most important thing when you're hearing this on Friday, yesterday was Janet Barney's 29th
2: birthday. Oh. Boop, boop.
1: Congratulations,
2: Thank you. Janet.
1: In all fairness, I know that's like a running gag, but really, you don't look over 29, and it makes me angry every time. I thought when I, when I met you in person that it was all like Hollywood smoke and mirror uh-huh. stuff, and I was so upset that <laughs> you look as young as you do. Uh, anyway, uh, happy birthday to Janet Varney. She why is why don't you ever say that about me? You look 60, oh, and you're younger than me. Uh so anyway, let's get let's get into the show. First things first, we've got some good news uh about Jamie Snow uh which I, I don't know a whole lot about, but I know it's it's a, it, currently uh Chicago's uh exoneration project uh was working on Jamie's case uh the Georgetown Making an exoneree program is is a big deal, and they're taking his case on now. And on. We already know we've already had some victories in his cases. In his case, where we've gotten a bunch of documents, like hundreds and up to a thousand documents that weren't shared prior to uh, to the ruling that happened over the summer. So Jamie's case is continuing to move forward, and as we get updates, I will let you know. Uh, with that being said, we're starting a little late, so we better we better really get into it. Uh, first, we we didn't talk about this at all in the Patreon hour and a half pre-show this week. What, are you, what, what were you guys' thoughts on the episode? Right, it
0: was great. I love the way you broke it down. Honestly, so you and I sat down after last week's episode, last week's follow-up, and you drew it all out on the board for me. Mm-hmm. And I was nervous as how you were going to convey that because you conveyed it really well to me in a picture.
1: Yeah, with a drawing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you did a phenomenal job. I, I think it really came across well. I was able to envision what you were talking about. And I honestly, Mike's breakdown really makes a lot of sense.
1: Awesome. Thank you for that. Janet, your thoughts?
2: Oh, yeah, I felt the same. I mean, I thought it was really exciting, to be honest. I mean, I just thought it was very, very cool to have, you know, it's we always talk about how hard it is to prove a negative. And so to have something Uh that feels like it's kind of moving the ball in the direction of, well, here's data. This is hard data that actually supports the story more than just like, well, we don't know that such and such didn't have, you know what I mean? We always talk about that. So I thought it was, I thought it was really exciting.
1: Yeah. And I want to be clear too, that when you, when you reminded me, when you mentioned proven negative, because, because somebody had asked like on the Facebook page. um, So does this prove they didn't go up the hill to Becky's house? I want to be clear. It does not. Right. It does not prove that what this does is corroborates what they said. Right, which what they said is that they were heading down to Sacred Heart. Especially you go back to Robert's first interview, the one that was like twelve hours later or or, or eighteen hours later. We were heading to Sacred Heart, and they that we missed the mass, so we went on up to Christian's house. This data supports that, corroborates that, and this shows that they could not have been heading up seventy four, heading south on seventy four at that time. I wish I could say. And so, therefore, they must be innocent. But I want to be clear, I'm not saying that because surely they could could have, you know, drove up to Christian's house, turned around, and then went all the way back and went up there. There was enough time because, you know, Becky's body wasn't lit on fire until 946. So, say, even if the murders happened at 9, you know, there was – it's tight, but there would be enough time for them to have still gone somewhere else, turned around, and went back. I I can't – that that gets into proving a negative. I can't prove something didn't happen. All I can do is show you evidence of what we know did happen, which is that they went past that turn to 74 and were were east of there when this phone call came in. Well,
2: I understand that. And isn't that also important in terms of what the state presented as their case and what they presented as definitive evidence of cell phone pings being very significant? Was this call a part of that? Was the was- – you know yeah. what I mean. So that's kind of a big so,
1: deal. So this, this, we all know this is a very circumstantial case. The state did not have much to work with, uh, and one of the main stanchions of the case that they drove home, particularly in closing arguments, was the cell phone evidence shows that they were heading towards Becky's, and now the cell phone evidence shows that at least at seven thirteen they were not. So again, it does. It's not a full. But, but and the tricky part is because I've seen people on the page that are like, "Yes, but this is reasonable doubt." This is, so in practicality, right? So like in in our real world here, for me, what I'm looking at it, it's like, okay, they have not given us any reason to not believe what they di- they were doing exactly what they said they were doing, mm-hmm. and now we have this new evidence that that that's come out. We've analyzed it, and it continues to support their narrative. ...of what they were doing that day. So so practically speaking, it's a big deal for when it comes to in the court of law from this point forward. Unfortunately, in post-conviction work, the burden is not on the state and the burden is not beyond a reasonable doubt. They, In order to be exonerated for actual innocence, you have to disprove every element of the state's case. And I think this disproves one of the elements that they used... But it doesn't disprove all of them, and so then that. And I don't want to go too much because I know we have you questions are about treading this.
2: into dangerous territory of <laughs> so
1: stomping with that being all said. over our wonderful so, listeners'
2: questions. So I do have
0: a, I do have a couple questions really quick that I, I, I looked at the listener questions that I don't think are presented in those. Okay, um, do we have a coverage map or sector data for five twenty three tower five twenty three where Christian's phone hit?
1: Uh, well, you're looking at it right okay. now on the on the screen. It's on the it's it's on the same. On the website where I put the map that shows the sector data for 705 with the orange and the yellow, Mm -hmm. over there on the right is the sector coverage for 523. And I'm going to get much deeper into that stuff in this week's episode. Okay. Then I think you answered my question. Okay.
0: Great.
2: So I'm going to actually start with something that's completely unrelated to all of this because I wasn't sure where else to kind of put it in. But I personally saw this post elsewhere on Facebook by Nikki and I said, Nikki, I think you should feed this into the follow up because while it isn't specifically related to cell phone coverage, I thought it was a really interesting idea and I hadn't seen it come up before. That doesn't mean it hasn't, but I hadn't seen it come come up before and I don't think we ever talked about it before, which is... uh. Nikki said, in light of the talk of how dark it is at the crime scene, could the perpetrators have used night vision goggles to walk away from the scene?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know how. Yes. (laughs) They they could have. I mean, we don't have any evidence they did. But certainly that's a possibility. I
2: mean, when we're talking about, you know, it's not the first time that night vision has come up on the show. And I think just sort of connecting the dots, not necessarily with that specific thing, obviously, because that doesn't that's. Was talking about Ron we know he wasn't anywhere near there but in terms of like we know someone could navigate that area better under those circumstances and I just don't think we ever yeah. used that as like well how about this like if they didn't have flashlights or if they weren't showing off like how would you see and I just thought it was really interesting and like smart to yeah, add I that as a potential factor
0: I don't know how I feel about that because I don't know that that uh, night vision night vision goggles are that readily available I mean, I'm not saying they're not out there, but I don't think they're that ready available. And they're pretty sophisticated for what they are. So if you're going to the point of doing this murder and planning to have night
1: vision goggles, I think you handle the crime scene a little better than you did. Right. But then again, you have to think that, you know, I, in my opinion, Becky was never part of the plan. You know, like like this crime scene, if you sans Becky, the crime scene was covered up pretty well. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, eventually they're going to find the bodies. And if they did the x-ray, they would know somebody was shot, but they would have nothing else to work with if it weren't for Becky out there. Uh, And and I do want to just, I I don't want to get into too much of this, but i also don't want to lose this comment from the YouTube chat before we we go any further. Mitch in the comment says each expert gave a different analysis. So I think further research has to be done. I just want to point out that's not true. Ed's expert did not, the, the guy that Ed talked to, didn't give an analysis about where the guys were from what Ed said. The expert simply told him how to read the, how to read the document. Like what does azimuth mean? Which, you know, what does final cell face mean? Things like that. The actual analysis about location was not done by an expert. It was done by Ed. And I also want to be clear, as I said in the episode, Ed never claimed otherwise. Other people took that as and this expert, Gave this a gave this analysis and said that they were heading south on on 74. But from what I've seen, that's not accurate at all. The expert told Ed what the sectors mean, what the asthmas mean. Ed took that information and did his own analysis.
2: Right. And I, you've you know, I appreciate that you've put out there that if somebody has, um you know, can really sort of lay out the case that very specifically shows from an expert perspective that you're wrong. Um that you've invited that, so I guess to date yeah, that and that's what, happened, you know
1: but. obviously as as expected, there are this, the exact people you would think that that have are trying to discredit the expert and discredit the the information And in my response like there's there's no reason to have an argument about it, just all you have to do is just like find somebody who works in this field who' will, who will say that what what Mike said our expert was incorrect because i i I'm telling you because. Mike is the one that went on the record and he was the most qualified, but I spoke to at this point now, I think we're six or seven people that work in this industry and his basis for coming up with this analysis was 100%. I wouldn't present this to you because I think something, you know, this definitively I'm presenting, I presented this to you the way that I did because I am 100% certain that any expert. Would 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 come to the same conclusion? Which Mike 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 only did two things. Everybody wants to talk about like the track software and it's not reliable. He didn't use the track software. Mm-hmm. All that does is show you the maximum potential range of a cell tower. Mm-hmm. He did two things. One, he explained that on an incoming call, you cannot use the initial cell for location. And every single expert I've spoken to. And then also before this, you can go all the way back to Adnan's case. Every single one unanimously all says the same thing. That's correct. On an incoming call, you cannot use the initial cell face. You can only use the final cell face. So that's one thing Mike did was clarify that and explain why. Because I couldn't explain why. He explained why that is and how the system works. And then the second thing he did was look at the state's expert, Gary Gayetti. who who did the gladiator drive test, looked at the state's experts map and showed where the dominant coverage is for Tower 705, Sector 1, and said, he's there. That's where he's at. He had the full gladiator report. He had the full sector data report. He had all of it. We broke down for our discussion the parts that he wanted that were relevant, which were the 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 page that showed the dominant sectors, because he said you're going to be, you need to look for the dominant cell coverage area. Mm-hmm. He wanted that. He wanted to see the max range of tower uh, 745 sector two, because that was the first, the initial cell phase. He said, I just want to see them. I need to see the maximum range for that. Told him we have the track software. And I asked him about the reliability. He said he has his own software that he can do the same thing with but they're all about the same tracks is just reliable as anything else. It's all based on the, the, the specifications of the tower and the cell and drive tests to confirm things. And he said, it's not that important because the only thing you can look at is the final cell face. So all you have to do is find an expert that says you don't, that you can do location off of the initial cell face. And I promise you, you won't find one and then find somebody that says the state's experts, dominant sector map, is incorrect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you find that, fine, I'll hear. I'll put them on the show. I'm happy to bring another expert on the show. Okay. But I'm not going to do a bunch of arguing online about it. Okay.
2: Um, I'm going to apologize in advance to our listeners because I had a lot of questions about uh, Mike's analysis and sector data. And I think you just in a large way may have touched on a little bit of every one of those things. Um, okay. But so just let's I'm a circle back to it um, because uh, I want to go back to back then and because we have a lot of questions about kind of the circumstances, as we've talked about, the sector data being tucked away and, and what all of that means and all that. So um, let's start with that. And then we get back to Mike's stuff. It probably wouldn't hurt for me to hear it again anyway, just because, as everyone knows, I don't claim to necessarily always immediately understand the cell phone stuff. But this last episode was extremely helpful. And so many people on Facebook, too, were like, oh, so clear. Thank you. Like, you really explained it in a way that made sense. So and thanks to Mike as well. Um, so Teresa says, do Do you know when the state turned over the discovery file to the defense? Is there a rule or regulation on how much time the defense must be given to review discovery prior to trial?
1: You know, I'm not. You'd have to go through like the the clerk's documents, which I don't have. They may be online, though, because usually they will be in some jurisdictions. You can even look online and see the dates when certain things were done. So at some point. The defense will say they want, you know, they're requesting they want all discovery items and the state will either give it to them or ask for an extension. So I I don't know. But it would be, I would say it would be in a reasonable amount of time before the trial. If they got them like the day before, they would ask for a continuance because, you know, thousands and thousands of pages of documents. Okay. So all I can say is they they would have them in a reasonable amount of time. They had them in enough time that they should have found this document.
2: Okay. Well, that's, I guess, yeah, I think that's what the big question is, right? Um, and then uh, Teresa also says, how long did the law enforcement agent that requested and received the sector detail work for RCO? Was he employed in 2011 when the data was given to Bo- uh, to Bowles? Was he employed when Robert and Christian went to trial? Um, and so uh, this is a great question because, you know, this sort of goes back to the conversation that we were having about the curiosity about, well, you said LeClaire didn't ask for the sector data. And now we know that they did ask for it. And then you mentioned kind of in fleeting uh, that it was even not him that requested it. So I think there are just some, some curiosity about who that was and kind of where it fits into everything.
1: Uh, His first name is escaping me right now, but it was officer Willis that requested it. It was requested in 2007. And so I'm going to talk about this on Sunday, but it certainly seems to me that the state absolutely Knew it was there. And I'll explain why I think that on, in, in Sunday's episode. But does that answer the question of when it was, it was requested by Willis? It was requested okay. in 2007. As far as if he was still employed in 2018 at the trial, I do not know that. I know that the state did not call him. Right. Probably for good reason because they put LeClaire on the stand who they could say, did you request the sector data? And he could say no. Right. And be telling the truth.
2: Right. OK. And so and then Teresa goes on to say, you know, are, what are the chances of informing Bowles now that there was sector data? I mean, do you think that would have by the way, I feel like I've said data and data 70 times already. So get ready because I'm probably just going to keep yeah. <laughs> keep saying I've it in different it ways. ways. <laughs> um, how do you feel about that? Like where Bowles fits into this and and is that information something that we could get to him and would that make a difference and
1: all that? I don't know if he still works for the FBI. That's a hard because part of the problem that I had was. Was that. I would talk to people that were willing to talk to me and explain things to me, but because of their employment, they weren't able to go on the record or do an interview Mm -hmm. about it. And so, like, if he's still working for the FBI, I don't think he's going to just talk to me if he's like retired. Maybe Mm -hmm. I maintain that if we that. If Bowles had this, because what Bowles said on the stand was, there was a direct question where he was asked, without the sector data, you can't tell us, without the full CDR, you can't tell us if they were driving down 74, can you? And he said no. Like, he acknowledged that he couldn't do it with the information he had. All he had was the initial cell, not even the initial cell, the initial tower, which was 745. And he said, no, he can't he can't do it with that. I I 100% believe that if you showed him the full sector data, he would say the same thing Mike said. You can't use the initial cell face for location. You have to look at the final cell face or the final cell, 705 sector one, and then you look for the dominant coverage of that sector, and that's where they were. I, I don't think, as I said, I maintain, there's not an expert in the world that will disagree with those two things. And that's all Mike told us.
2: Okay. So, with the let's talk about the stipulation for a second because I see some stuff about it in the chat, and I also had something from Candy and also Christine uh, from Facebook um, asking about the stipulation. Uh, Can you clarify? Were they stipulating that everyone acknowledged there was sector data and it was insignificant, or that was everyone stipulating that there was no sector data?
1: They were stipulating that there, there wasn't there was no sector. Date.
2: OK, so if someone uh, says that they stipulated that they, they knew the info, that they had the information, and they didn't do anything with it. That's not what they stipulated. To. They stipulated. No, not at all. There was exact the opposite.
1: Any. Yeah. OK. The stipulation was that it wasn't available.
2: OK. And so so Candy and Christine are both sort of asking, you know, why would they stipulate that there wasn't any if it could have helped their case to have it? Like, is there any reason that you would know about it and then. You know, would it would they would it be that they did find it and that they did have it analyzed and that they thought that that didn't look good for them, so it was on their benefit also to stipulate, like both sides think it's not helping their side and they're and one of them is wrong, but they both like are like mm-hmm, no, there isn't any
1: sector data. Yeah, so this is a slippery slope, right? So everybody, when when the data came out and Ed made his post saying the data showed that they were for sure driving down Highway 74. Everyone was saying the defense, it was in Discovery, the defense, not everyone, but who do you expect? Mm -hmm. Well, the defense obviously knew about it and they pretended not to know about it and agreed to the stipulation because they knew that it was going to hurt their case. That was the narrative then. And, and I even saw Well, it's reasonable for the prosecution to have not realized it was there, which I think is nonsense. But then we get the new information and we actually have it analyzed by an expert who says, no, it actually hurts the state's case and helps the the defense's case. So then now, of course, the other side of that is saying, well, that's why the state didn't uh, or, or tried to hide the fact that it was there was because they knew that it hurt their case. So in either side of that, I, I, all we can do is speculate. And again, I'm, I'm going I'm to break down and let you make your own decision this weekend on Sunday. Okay. But um, I guess it depends on, on your perspective and if it seems like it's good for you or not. Because the same people that said because it hurts the defense's case, that and they, they must have known that and so they must have hit it. Once they find out it actually hurts the state's case, it's like, no, the state probably didn't know it was there. Right. It's like the same argument doesn't apply on both sides, and to be fair, the same is true the other way. Right. All
2: we know, all we know for sure, is that both sides stipulated that that sector data did not exist to their knowledge, and that's Correct. that's the the fact as we understand it. Um. And I'll be interested to hear more, you know, about mm-hmm. what that could possibly mean or possible motivations, um, for that, uh. So, yeah. And, and just to shout out to Wendy, um, who is responding to this idea of the prosecution burying it, so to speak, saying, you know, how is that considered ethical Um if you if you do know and you're getting the defense to agree to something, you know, it isn't true. How are there no consequences of being dishonest? Are there other cases that these people have litigated that need to be looked at? I would say it puts all of the cases they touched into question. And I don't know if that's something that's maybe better suited for a conversation next week based on what you may be talking about. Yeah, on the pr- weekend. Yeah,
1: probably. Okay. Probably. Do we have do we have questions about how this could be used in appeal? Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's actually my then. next little section.
2: Uh, before I get there, uh, Teresa wants to know if it's possible to see or know what exact documents were provided as the state's exhibits in the stipulations.
1: What documents were provided as state's exhibits? Is that what, yeah? I, I guess uh, regarding the stipulations, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's not how the stipulations work. The stipulations, which is up on the website, was right before Bowles testified. The you know the judge says, "Okay, you guys have handed me some stipulations." Uh, one of this, it was like stipulation seven, number three or something like that uh, was about the the cell phone sector data not being available. And both in the and he goes to the state and to both defense attorneys, you all agree to this. Yes. And then he tells the jury, you guys can all can can all just trust and know that this is a fact that this was not acceptable. As far as what what exhibits were used, they used the gladiator exhibit that Mike was working off of. Um, And then they use the, I just call it the short form, but the, the basic cell data that we got um, that only shows the number calling the number called the, the first tower that call connected to and the duration of the calls. That's what they were using at trial. They didn't have this full CDR.
2: Okay. Okay. So getting into present day, Madeline says, are Christian and Robert aware of this new information yet? And then I'm going to just piggyback on Danielle. Who I know is here today uh, says, "Have you heard from or been in contact with the attorneys about this info? And what are their thoughts?"
1: Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't. I, I know they're listening I've, through through conversations with family members. Who I've talked to them that I know that they're they're paying attention to this. Net, to and but but I don't know what their strategy is. Like people keep because that I've I've sent stuff to the attorneys. Like I said, people think that I'm like working with them or working for. them. I'm not. I have no idea what their legal strategies are. I don't know what for all I know. They have already had experts and already knew all of this Mm -hmm. information. Uh, I have no idea. Okay,
2: so uh, here's the here's the question you were wondering about Uh, Den and Jenna and Lucy and probably some other folks said, what are the chances that with the sector data now they could have a new trial? And um, I would just add to that. What would be the argument? Because you started talking about that a little bit ago.
1: Yeah, so because somebody in the YouTube chat had just said like this won't help them because it's not new; it was in discovery. That's not true. Now, is it a guaranteed new trial? No. Any judge can rule in any way. If I was, and you all know, I'm not an attorney, so this is just my layman. You know, after spending twelve seasons working on cases with 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 post conviction attorneys, from what I understand, this is how I would approach it: is I would raise this as ineffective assistance of counsel because the the defense attorneys had this information in their file. They should have known it was in the file. They should not have agreed to the stipulation. And with, you know, again, like I said, I would, I would assume the defense would have an expert or several experts actually analyze it, do deposition, be prepared to testify, shows that it not only is exculpatory, again, doesn't prove their innocence, but it's an exculpatory piece of evidence because it it, it corroborates what they said happened. And because the case was so circumstantial, you know, the, the jury was looking at a big lie, right? So the, the, the state presented the cell phone evidence shows they were heading in the direction of Becky's house. And they said they never were. So that's a big that's a big deal, obviously. So now we're showing no, they had, the cell phone evidence actually showed that they had passed the turn to go to Becky's house and were, in fact, in route, or at least going in the direction of going back to Christian's house which is what what they said they were doing so you have the, you have the error was that they didn't find it the prejudice is had the jury known this it could have changed the outcome of the trial now that all sounds great it sounds like a slam dunk but as we know from post conviction work it's not now you could get a judge that could absolutely say, and 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 some judges will be pissed about the fact mm. That the stipulation exists mm-hmm. because I promise the state's not going to convince the judge they didn't know it was there, hmm. so that may upset them too. But but the the big argument there, there's no I don't think there's any argument on the error like they they on the record stipulated to something that wasn't available when they actually had it in their in their file. That's an error for sure. But then is would it have changed the outcome of the trial? That's going to be up to the judge to decide. The state will likely argue, "Well, we would have, if we had known that, we would have just presented a different theory that they drove up to Christian's house, got the guns, and then went, or whatever."
0: Right. Well, for me, I don't think it's. I think it's a hard fight on either side because it's not conclusive either way. Right. It's not conclusive to innocence. It's not conclusive to guilt. Right. Really, either way, because the the time period that we have is so much be, so much earlier than what right, we hours believe before. Yeah, that there is a huge window of time there that. They could, like you said, they still could have drove and drove a different direction. Right. So while I think this is a really good find for us, I don't think it's anything that leads one way or the other.
1: Well, you got to understand that with we're not talking about an actual innocence exoneration. What we're talking about is a fair trial. Mm-hmm. So they were convicted. So so it's, it's not about if it proved they were innocent. It's about could it have affected the outcome of the trial? And those are – it's a subtle difference, but there's a difference there, right? Because okay. you're right. But that's not what the habeas judge would be ruling on. it would be ruling yeah. on could could a, would a reasonable juror could a reasonable juror have taken this information and then and then voted to acquit instead of to convict, um, and and that's that would be the big question. I can't tell you how any one judge would react to that. Yeah, like I said, the state's argument. I I don't believe the state can put up an, an expert to refute the data, the the analysis. I think any expert is going to come to the same conclusion. So, but what they can say was, well, our trial strategy would have just changed. We wouldn't have made that argument. We would have made a different argument if we had it. Right. And then it depends on if a judge is going to buy that or not buy that.
2: Right. And is that a situation where like in a perfect world, you know, I'm just thinking about Adnan's case, for example, because it has proven to be a nice comparison in a lot of other ways that you sort of would hope to have a couple of different things like this so that you can present a sort of batch of things and say – you know, because you never know. Like someone might rule yes on this, but no on that. But that's enough to take you forward, and then maybe that yeah. bounces back. But they like the other thing. You know, this is again. This all very yeah. If I'm but- the,
1: if I'm the lawyer, I'm working very hard to get DNA testing done and get and trying to identify the DNA that's on. I want to do M back testing and get as much DNA off of the her clothing and stuff that we can. Yeah. And then I want to get that analyzed. You know, sent through databases, through CODIS, through genetic genealogy. I want to identify whose DNA is on on her body. And then so then when you put then that's when you start to get to a point where where it's a slam dunk. So if you could present, look at these experts that we're having look at the DNA and the business card, show this degradation, and we can tell now that the with the degradation of the DNA and the business card that it's probably been outside for a period. Of, I'm not saying that's true, but let's say that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Well that's not going to overturn the conviction. And here we have the defense had this sector data didn't know they had it, or at least didn't admit they knew they had it. And it turns out if they had used it, it would it would show exculpatory evidence that shows that they were actually doing exactly what they said they were doing. That, I think, could overturn the, the conviction, but it's still not a slam dunk. But then if you have – also, there was DNA on Becky's Sock, which so we have identified as this person uh, who has a violent history, blah, 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 fill in the blanks. And I say that because – you could there certainly there will be people on the internet that you could pull DNA off that sock and it could come back to a serial killer and they'd be like well they, I mean she could walk past their house no. I mean it doesn't the, the business card you know what I mean yeah. but so if you but if you couple those together like well the cell phone evidence shows they were driving away right and the business card DNA looks like it was there for over a year and there's DNA of a violent offender on her body. That's what as you start to pile up like that, that's when it becomes a slam dunk.
2: Right. And just in terms of talking about whether it would have and could have affected the jurors and their deliberation, Jennifer asks, you know, and we talked about this before. We talked about uh, wanting to talk to past jurors, people who worked uh, who deliberated this case to find out what their kind of pressure points were right. What really pushed it over the edge for them other than that it perhaps was a weekend. Um, so Jennifer does say, have we, do we, have we reached out to jurors? Could we in the future to find out what evidence and theories really convinced them that they were guilty? And so that would help to know if, you know, or how much the cell phone data and locations presented at the trial push them towards that guilty verdict.
1: Yeah. So it, that's, it's, it's tricky. I, no I have seen with my own eyes a juror explaining what happened in the jury room. That juror I've tried reaching out to a dozen times to to have them like come on the air or do an interview or at least talk to me cuz so I can confirm that so so that I can report it cuz I can't report it to you right. unless I know they're willing to go to go on the record cuz it's not something they said to me right. they said it to they said it to someone else and I have not heard back from this person so uh I need to contact some other jurors or continue to try to get this, this this person to speak because like this is one of those things that's frustrating for me I know what what was going on yeah I've seen it I've read what they wrote about what was going on in the juror room but they didn't do so on the record yet. Uh,
2: got it. Oh, that's yeah, that's frustrating. Okay. Um. All right. Well, let's talk about Mike and let's talk a little bit more about the work, um, that was discussed on the last episode. Kristen says, "How did you find Mike Dowd And have you used him before? I think you said you didn't know him, but um,
1: before this, no, I never met him before. Tell us a little bit more. About I uh, through like, like I said, I, I use several different connections, and there's a whole. I'll talk about this in a second. But yeah, you know." the connections I have to get to experts and was able to talk to several people, but no one would do an interview. No one was able to do an interview. I reached out to Jim Clemente and asked him, like, look, do you know anybody from the FBI? Someone, someone with, with, with government training that's, that's maybe retired that can do this. And he, and, and the entire interaction with Jim was him going, I know just the guy. He's one of the best in the world. He trained CIA agents to do this. And he texted me Mike's phone number. I called Mike and that was it. So that that's how I know Mike. And that was to one of the one of the arguments um that people were making and trying to discredit Mike. Well, apparently he was apparently he was at a crime con. I don't know. I never met him before. I didn't know he was there. Um but people say that, you know, since he retired, he's done some modeling, so that discredits him. Um, even he's currently right now working for the government in Australia. He left the next morning after I talked to him. That's why we had to quick get that interview in. Um, cause he's still doing this work but because he's done some modeling. He should be discredited. And because I know Jim and Jim knows him, that means that he's not an independent expert. These being the same person, people that, that are citing Ed's expert, who is his brother's buddy. Understood. Um, so you can do with that what you want. Um, but th- these are the ways they're discrediting it. But, you know, Mike, my, my, my communications with Mike, I had never heard of him, never met him before. I asked Jim, "Who's? do you know somebody? He said, this guy is the best. Sent me his number. I sent him all the documents. He analyzed it. Came on the show. Gave me his quick, quick interview. And then he headed off to Australia.
2: Got it. Uh, Pamela, the, just shout out to you, Pamela. I know um, we've answered some of your questions about what specifically was shared with Mike. You did go into that a little bit ago, Bob. Um, Jim says... Let's just re- let's circle back to the drive test for a second. Jim says, does the drive and I'm, I'm paraphrasing Jim, uh, does the drive test coverage data support the recent analysis?
1: The, yeah, that's what he used. Right. M- Mike, the, the data Mike used, despite, like, listen, you got. Uh, and I'm not saying I don't even want to like I don't want to give anybody any oxygen. I'm just but but j- just so you know, when you're seeing the people that are trying to make these arguments about like the track software and this and that. His analysis was based on Gary Gayetti's drive test. It right. was based on Gayetti's report because that's the only thing we have to show dominant coverage. We could go do another drive test today and it would be even less accurate than Gayetti's because the fact is it was done what in 2016, 2017, so it's, you know, the it says in his report that Verizon has confirmed the coverage is the same. He also testified that the reach, not the angles, but the reach could be a little longer which has to do with the types of antennas that were on the phones back in 2006. But that's the best data we have to go with to show the actual dominant coverage. Tracks doesn't do dominant coverage. It only just shows maximum possible range. So one more time for the people in the back, Mike's conclusion and his analysis was based on the state's expert, Gary Gayetti's Gladiator drive tests. That's where he came from the conclusion. And, then I, and, and and no, nothing was true. He had the entire report. He had went through the whole report and then came to his conclusion.
2: Great. Uh, Rossi, shout out to you. There was a question. In fact, several questions about that, about people, I think, misunderstanding and thinking that you guys were having a different conversation about today's coverage versus uh, the coverage back then. We've answered that.
1: Um, well, there is one thing with that. Oh, sure. A lot of people have asked mm-hmm. about is it was that based on 2006 data or mm-hmm. based on on you know more current stuff so the drive test was done when Gayetti did it which was years later right. right he says in his report that he confirmed with Verizon right. that the coverage would have been the same right but as you like there's even one spot in the drive test where he did one and then went back 3 days later or a couple days later and did another one and it shows different results that's going to happen when it comes for what you can connect to, not necessarily the dominant coverage, because it depends on there's, – there's so many factors that, that get many factors in there. The tracks software, the reason – I like one of the reasons it's nice to look at is because the track software can go back in time, and those maps were based on not cur- – those are based on the 2006 specs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so those are based on 2006. But again, I want to be clear – when you look at the big red clouds that we have posted from the track software, that is not showing you where the phone will connect. It's showing you where the phone could connect because it's showing you the maximum potential range. And that's what I was saying about the sector uh, 705 Sector 1 when I said it's double confirmed because if you look at Gary Gayetti's map, it shows where the dominant uh, the the dominant coverage area is for sector one, and then if you overlay that with the tracks map that shows the the max possible range of that same sector, you see that they line up. That obviously the maximum is a little bit bigger than the than than the coverage area, but both confirm that yes, that's a micro cell. Yes, it covers a very small area, and there's a reason why in the sector the dominant sector map that Gary Gaetti did. In his drive test, that it's sector two that has all of the coverage down Highway 74. That 705 one doesn't have any, it, because you can see by looking at the tracks software why he came to that conclusion. Now, he came to that conclusion because of a drive test, mm-hmm. but the tracks map shows you why it's because sector two of 705 is a macro cell and it's actually designed to cover that angle down 74 whereas 705 is not so it's what we're doing is gathering as much information as possible and you're cross-referencing all that stuff to, to make sure because like I wouldn't say just use Gary's map mm-hmm. Gary I, Gary he's my buddy Gary I don't know Gary Mr Gaetti you wouldn't just use just his I want to confirm it, which we do by using then another source tracks and overlaying and said, yep, they both show the same thing. They both show it's a microcell. They both show it covers a very small area. They both show it's not intended to cover 74, and it's impossible for it to cover south of Tower 745
2: on 74. Okay. And so for the, if there's, is there controversy? Leah, you know, was asking about this with some conversations that were happening about potential controversy with track software itself. Is that something we need to get into? Is it helpful or is No, that it's like a any thing? other
1: science out there. You can, you can do your research. There, I, I cited one of the, one case and I haven't, I didn't find another case, but there have been – there has been court – particularly as one court in Colorado that said that – and they blasted it. They're like, it's not based on science and it's not using RF technology and it's not blah, 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 blah. So they threw it out. And so you can go to that and say it's it's unreliable. And then you can find 10 other cases where it was used and accepted and passed Delbert tests and was used. So it's it's all a matter of – the, the, the problem is it's like arson investigation. It's when someone tries to tell you that it's – tries to say that it's telling you something – That it cannot actually tell you. Got it. Right. So it's like when you go to like an an arson and I can tell you, well, the low burn is here and there's there's a heat source here. So it appears the point of origin was here and taking that information and saying Zach started the fire with a match over there. Right. That data didn't tell me that. I jumped to that conclusion. It's the same thing with the track software where the track software can tell you, hey, this tower, this sector, this cell is a macro cell, and it is designed to have this range. Mm-hmm. And then we've gone out and done drive tests along perimeters and confirmed, yes, it does have the potential to reach this far, and it creates a map. Now, when then some, when a lawyer then goes into court and says, see this, it would be like the, the, the coverage area posted for 745 Sector 2, the huge coverage area that looks like a heart. It'd be like if somebody said, because – he They made a connection to that cell that they were at the intersection of Date Palm and Highway 111. Right. Because that intersection happens to be in that circle when it's not intended to do that. It's only intended to tell you they could be somewhere in that range. And then you go to the final cell for the dominant coverage to find out where they were.
2: Got it. But the one thing we do know is the person who designed that sector loved hearts. I know Trax has proven right. that
1: because we all (laughs) saw the heart
2: shape okay this is a little bit in the weeds but tony um i I liked your post because it actually it it it, the way that you're asking this question makes sense to me which again i was excited about so i'm going to read it and i would love to hear your thoughts tony says if i understand correctly connecting to a stationary handset sounds like a dynamic process How does a connection to and reported data from a moving handset, i.e. like in a vehicle, differ? If the call was, say, 30 seconds and we use 60 miles per hour for easy math, then the call start and end location should be about half a mile apart. It seems insignificant for a macro tower, but maybe it's important for a micro tower's coverage. Is a terminating tower slash sector that is reported to the cell that it immediately switches to, or is it the one in use when the call ends, assuming it's switched during the call? Do, uh, due to the handset moving out of range, can we truly tell anything about their movement based on this one data point, or do you have to connect the dots with the calls before and after? Does that make sense?
1: It makes perfect. Right? It's actually, a really is it question? such a yes. great question?
2: I was like, yes. I get it, Tony. I get it. I get what you're asking. This is great. Yeah.
1: So uh, essentially, if you didn't if you didn't follow what he's saying, is so we looked at the initial cell face the 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 tower that the the cell that found the phone, and then the final cell face the phone it connected to to actually use. And determine that's its 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 location. What he's asking is, well, we have a 27 second unanswered call, Uh, so we're using that location. But what? Is, so go beyond 30 seconds. Let's say it was a two minute call and they were driving. What would it be? Now, I want to be. This is my understanding. I would again have to consult with an expert on this. Mm-hmm. Now I did discuss that. And, and I'm gonna. I'll come back to this as to how I figured it out for this. Um, but my understanding is the final cell face is only going to show the last cell it was on when the call disconnected. So if it's a five minute call, the, 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 the tower may have switched two, three times along that process. Uh, and, and in, in doing so you'd only have the final one and then, yeah, you'd have to connect the dots. Okay. Well, where were they? If that's the case, usually you're probably looking for a broader area, right? So like, Okay, well, they made another call before that, and they were here, and then there was this one that was a long call, and then a minute later, they made another call here, and you would map that mm. out. Um, because, yeah, you really couldn't tell where they were at, though. All you know is it would be the same same thing here. Like, they started in this huge red cloud, and they finish in this small area, but we don't – the call might have – it's a three-minute, four-minute call. It might have connected somewhere else. Now, so I did discuss that stuff with Mike about this one, mm-hmm. and, and, and I said, you know it's, it's – it's twenty seven seconds, and you know. So I don't know. You know, it, it, does that matter that it, that they were in a car and moving, and he was. In, you know, he asked some questions about once he once he saw the area, and he said that they were in there, and he said, "Well, what's that area like?" Right. So is is this like interstate, mm-hmm. where you know, in thirty seconds they could have traveled a half mile. Is it, a, is it like a, a city area mm-hmm. that has stoplights and stuff like that and traffic, uh, which is the case here? And I said, yeah. And, and he said, if that's the case, then, yeah, there's nothing you, – you, you you can be pretty sure this is where they were at. It's only 27 seconds, and that's after – you know, and, and it, it didn't – that 27 seconds starts with the connection to 745-2, uh, and then it moves over. So he said he would – like if he was looking for the person, he would go look right there. Because this call was so short, in the area that sector seven o that seven hundred five sector one covers, there are stoplights. There's a lot of, you know, there's traffic down there. It's a busy area, so you know they're not going to get real far to get. They're not, certainly not going to get far enough to get out of that coverage area in a matter of seconds. Especially because they never answered the call, mm-hmm. so the phone didn't have to like keep that signal going afterwards. You know, once they connected to it, and then. You know, is further and I, because I have these like, well, what best case, worst case, what could this, what could this mean? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, if that's the tower, if the initial one was here, let's say, so he's like, well, what other dominant sectors could he cover connect to and still end up there? And it doesn't change the outcome here. So, cause he could have connected to tower 705 sector one. Now he didn't know this Mike, does, by the way, he doesn't know anything about the case. He doesn't know if it was good for them to go down 74 or bad to go down 74. He doesn't know any of that right. stuff. Um, but because that the, the sector they ended on only only covers east of 74. So unless the theory is that they drove all the way like out to 10 and then came back and happened to catch another tower and then 705, which is no is no one's theory. Um, the fact that we all know they were starting coming down 111 at that southeast angle. So, you know, could it have connected to 705 Sector 2 for three seconds and then switch to 705 Sector 1? That is possible. Probably not because you have overlapping coverage to avoid dropped calls. So it wouldn't have had enough time, but but it's possible. But then that would still show they were moving east. Like in any scenario, they were moving east. In zero scenarios were they ever because the tower they ended on doesn't have any coverage west of 74 or on 74. Gotcha. Dominant coverage.
2: Gotcha. Great. Great question, Tony. So Georgina uh, also, as we kind of, Start moving away from that call and that time frame and start moving into when uh, the phones were turned off or they didn't have coverage. Georgina says if their phones were turned off, but they were in an area that had cell coverage, no data would be available. Right. I asked this because Becky was using the landline to call her voicemail, even though there was no cell coverage. So it seems like voicemails were still coming through. So would this also be the case if the phones were off, but in an area with coverage? I'm guessing voicemail would not create a tower connection.
1: No, it doesn't create a tower connection, and it is accurate. I mean, I think those – the calls that when their phone was off went to voicemail, I believe, or at least some of them did. But it doesn't, it doesn't create a tower connection to the handset when that happens. I wish we had – there were some people who sent me some clips from the Murdaugh trial that's going on right now, and they had a Verizon engineer on there. Uh, and he talked – one thing that he talked about was that, at least with the modern phones – that they can actually see if the phone was shut off. Like it sends a signal to the towers, to the system that the phone has been shut off. It creates an event, a trackable event. Uh, so I heard that. I'm like, oh, well, let's go look. And I don't, there's nothing. Well, what he was describing was not on this, these these reports. Um, and I haven't talked to Mike again since then, but I talked to a couple other people since then. They're like, now back in those, those reports aren't going to show that. Okay. But apparently now, if you shut your phone off, it'll show you, if you it'll say that you shut your phone off.
2: Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, And then I think uh, that takes us to Steve, who is not talking so much about what the data, uh, the cell data, and, and that part shows other than that he's saying it may conflict with what Christian himself said, which was that he turned around or somewhere before the river, which is a shopping entertainment center, which is west of Tower 705. So I think he's saying well, Christian may have said that he turned around at a part that conflicts with the actual data. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. But it's I mean, there's a couple things. One, as we mentioned in a prior episode, Christian was interviewed three and a half months later. The first thing he said was that I don't think my memory is is very good. And if you listen to his wording when he's saying stuff, he's like, I, he's saying, I don't know. I guess we would have probably turned here. The the mistake, again, there's all these dropped balls in the investigation that would help us so much. 18 hours after this happened, Robert was interviewed. And he said, yeah, we were going down there. It was too late. So we decided just to go back to Christian's house. They. Did, I wish they had asked him, which route did you take? Right. But they didn't. And then they didn't interview Christian again for a week and a half later. And, you know, I'm sure there are people out there that are like, well, they should know it was an important thing that happened. And they should know exactly every turn they make. These are teenagers that are driving around that town all over the place every single day. And if they're innocent and didn't have anything to do with this, the idea that they would remember even 10 days later, 11 days later when Christian was interviewed exactly what turns and what route you made in one drive of how many drives around town a week and a half later is is not reasonable and then to, and then to think that but then three and a half months later after how many hundreds of drives through there with christian or with Robert and all that that they're going to remember the exact turns so without even knowing remembering what he said my methodology and again I talked about this before we even went through any of the sector data was you go back to The first one, go back to Robert's interview, and I was looking desperately to see what route did he say they took, and they never asked him. We don't have a route. So all we know is they were headed to Sacred Heart. They went home. I can't take Christians. I think maybe we went this way three and a half months later as evidence of where they went. Okay.
2: Uh, So – Let's talk about some other calls. Some questions have come up around, of course, we've placed all this emphasis on this very important moment, but that has led folks like Amy and Shannon and Darlene um, to wonder about sector data, sector data, is data, sector data. I figured out a <laughs> third way yeah. to say it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> sector data.
2: Tell us more about the sector data, Bob. Uh, was it pulled for anyone else? They got phone records for, f- such as uh, Javier or Jacob or anyone else. Um, Jacob's phone being tricky since it was off for right. all that crucial
1: most of the time. Uh, no, so someone had showed me um, who was looking through some cell that, some cell that has access to the case file. That they have there's information in Becky's cell records that discusses or that, that mentions I, th- I think it mentions azimuths in it or whatever it was. It looks like they had sector data for Becky's phone, which isn't particularly helpful because her phone was not you know had no connection after like five o'clock when she was up the mountain. So, but then
2: didn't it you know, ring, didn't they say they thought it rang and after the fire, like maybe that's why they were. Trying to figure it out, like where was the phone if it yeah, may have got, connected?
1: We never got a good understanding of that, right? Like how what that was like, you know, that frustrating. It, yeah, so I I don't quite know that, but the, so but then no, for Christians we don't. Roberts, we do, but they didn't allegedly didn't know uh, that that it was in the file. I don't see anything for Jacob or for Javier or anybody else. The only one that I've seen, were, and this is this is I'm not there's nothing I'm holding back from you guys now. The only thing I have seen where the state requested sector data and received it was for Robert's phone.
2: Okay. So is there more we can glean? Hang on
1: real quick. What are you doing? Are we playing solitaire over there? What? I was looking at the map. Oh, (laughs) sorry. I I had to say something because people will will message me all the time and say, why doesn't Zach talk on the follow-up very much?
0: I don't have anything to say.
1: Right. I was <laughs> like, we're not always telling him not to talk. He just talks when he's got something to say. I know. All right, go ahead, Janet.
2: Zach, if you want me to try to draw you out more, I will.
0: The questions are directed at Bob. So, like, if I have a theory, I come in. But, like, the questions are directed at Bob. I'm not the expert. I'm not the host of the show. I'm I'm like the voice of the listeners who's just here if I have extra questions.
1: Yeah. So, there's your answer, people who stop messaging me. Message Zach. Tell him to talk more. Go ahead, Janet. And I try Hi, to look things up. <laughs>
2: you, Zach. Okay, um, so where does that leave us? Is it, you mentioned that you're going to be talking about more stuff with the that's kind of a continuation of what we've been talking about. So what what does that mean for us? Are you going to do more for next week?
1: Yeah. So this week's episode Sunday, uh, we're done with questions. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So yeah. So so episode coming in two days on Sunday. Uh, as long as we're as, hey, as long as we're doing it, let's do it. So we're going to go through. All of the sector data for all the calls we have that night, and try to map out exactly the route that we have. Either because there's a lot of people asking, well, what about this call at this time, and what about this? So, so I'm just going to go through and map out where Robert, we could, I say Robert Christian, where Robert's phone was at the different times throughout that evening from where we know that he was, and then a little more analysis about the about the stipulation, and and I'm going to talk more. I'm going to fully go through. Uh, the Gladiator Report, not just the stuff that they talked about at trial, but everything that's in his report. So all that will be coming on Sunday. When you're hearing this, don't forget to send Janet a happy birthday message. She's the big <laughs> this two is nine. the
2: most attention we've ever paid to anyone's <laughs> birthday ever on the show.
1: Right. It's I just When Zach sends you a measly text tomorrow, I want you to remember <laughs> that I did all of this for your birthday. That's, it's really about me, Janet. That's what's going on here. Wonderful
0: we yeah. know we you know.
1: know and and tonight for, uh, I know a lot of you guys bought tickets to Zach and I's uh, comedy show that'll be tonight yeah. so, Friday night
0: I promise I'll talk more there
1: yeah I, Zach, I really talk, do talk you, I promise you'll probably talk for 20 minutes straight I bet <laughs> I bet I will without me interrupting <laughs> at get all will yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic <laughs> alright thanks everybody thank you YouTube thank you listeners who are engaging and thanks everybody for supporting the show we love you all and we'll talk to you next week thanks everybody bye guys nbi studios production and is distributed by wondering edited by kelly Barron's brink and all music for the show was created by put in a our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by tate krupa of red swan graphic design you can find more of tate's work on etsy thank you to katie ross of Createdintandem.com for designing creating managing and maintaining our website truthandjusticepod.com Financially support the show the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com/truthandjustice you'll not only be supporting the show but you'll get something in return on patreon you can pledge as little as $3 a month and we have reward levels for just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at truthjusticepod follow our personal accounts on social media I can be found in all forms at Truth. Janet can be found at JanetVarney, and Zach is at Z And Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833 However you do it, stay engaged stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff I'm Zach Weaver.
2: And I'm Janet Varney.
1: And this has been Truth and Justice one two three
2: don't try to mess with the timing he's gone goodbye
1: can't hear headphones already off
0: Uh, obnoxious she said you suck that's what she said kelly probably don't use that that was probably really inappropriate all right, Kelly, here we go. Me and you. Hopefully that went well. Now I'm all by myself again, Kelly. They just leave me hanging out by myself over and over again. Also, don't put that thing that I said about
1: Bob in there. By the Georgia Towns, Georgia Towns, idiot. Georgetowns making an exonery. You got a lot of work to do, Kelly. Making an exoner. God damn it. This will be fine, Kelly. You're just going to clean this up and it'll sound very professional.
2: YouTube, I just want to thank you so much for um, making my job easy by the last like 10 minutes were mostly just about how hot Mike Dowd is. <laughs>